0: To this endo life. I'm Jessica Duffin. I'm an endo warrior and endo health coach, and this podcast is all about living and thriving with endometriosis. As always, this podcast is here for educational purposes only. Please consult your medical practitioner before making any nutritional changes or bringing in any supplements. Before we dive into today's episode, I want to give a shout out to my lovely sponsors at BU. And I wanted to tell you about their new bath bombs, which are naturally made and contain beautiful essential oils. And their peppermint and eucalyptus essential oils um, bath bomb is doing so well right now with endometriosis community. They're getting loads of feedback about it. And you know, if you love the patches themselves, you're gonna love the bath bombs because essentially So before we dive into today's episode, I wanted to give a shout out to the lovely girls at Semaine. They are two sisters with endometriosis. They've been on the show before and they founded Semaine, which is a supplement company for people with periods to originally their first supplement was to aid with PMS and period pain. And I know that it is a lifesaver for so many people with endometriosis and painful periods, I absolutely love that supplement. It's really helped me when I've had to kind of follow protocols for SIBO, or you know I've had a stressful time and I've been worried about my period. I've been able to avoid a flare with that supplement, and they've always been so kind and um, kindly sent me sent me them when I when I've needed them. And now they've come out with a new supplement called The Daily. And it is a hormone balancing supplement, which is designed to help with healthy skin, stable mood, fewer cravings in your luteal phase, blood sugar balance. And they recently gifted it to me. Honestly, I said this to my client the other day, my blood sugar levels have never felt so stable as they did when I was taking that day, daily supplement. As you guys know, I, I work very hard to stabilize my blood sugar levels because that will keep inflammation down and it also ensures that you have healthy, balanced hormones. It's, it's really, really key. And I have a history of having really unstable blood sugar. Originally growing up, it was because of my eating disorder. But then in later years, it was much more down to firstly following a vegan diet when I didn't understand how to build my plate, a healthy blood sugar balance in plate. And secondly, because of my microbiome and my microbiome because of SIBO is built to actually extract more glucose from my food and cause blood sugar instability. This is actually a really key piece of blood sugar. If your blood sugar is resistant all of the strategies you're trying that is a massive clue that your microbiome is affecting the way that your blood sugar is is being controlled in your body so we need to work on that work on your gut and mine has impro- mine has improved massively but i still react much more um erratically than someone else would to blood sugar fluctuations and I couldn't believe the difference. It was like I had a whole month of like stable blood sugar. It was incredible. And as a result, I had much more of a healthier cycle. I felt a lot more satisfied. I had less food cravings. I just felt a lot more stable in energy. So I'm a really big fan of this. And as I said, blood sugar is a huge piece to managing your hormones, hence why blood sugar is such a big part of their their supplement. So the girls have kindly given me a discount code for you guys. It will get you 20% off your first um, order, whether that's the daily or the PMS and period support capsules. And the code is ENDOLIFE, one word, all caps. So E-N-D-O-L-I-F-E, And that code is valid for the next six months, I believe. So you can use it at any time. Um, So let me know how you get on with them. I'd love to hear if you find them as amazing as I did. And I hope that they bring you a happier and healthier cycle and period. I just want to give a trigger warning before this episode starts. I'm talking about some serious issues, um, heart disease, terminal illness, I don't even know how to say this, um, thinking I'm going to die. Um, so if you are just in a sensitive place right now, or you've had some past medical trauma, this might not be the episode for you. Okay. So this was a really hard episode to write. Um, I've been writing it for five hours now. Um, not because I've been stopping and starting at all. I've actually been working solidly But I found it really hard to explain the story and link it all together. So um, I always write my episodes first, so I might kind of add as I talk, so it might not match the transcript completely, just in case I notice I missed something, because there's just so much here to this story. And I did find it actually quite traumatic to write, the experience traumatic. So I found it actually really quite emotional to write which might have clouded how I got it down on, not paper, on keyboard. So um, on Christmas day, uh, like Christmas day gone, so 2021, I thought I had a heart attack. And it it was a Christmas night actually, maybe even the early hours of Boxing Day. And I was woken up by one of the worst pains I've ever experienced. Um, And I've experienced a lot of pain. And it felt like a metal clamp had locked around my heart um, and was squeezing it to the point it burst in. And the pain radiated into my left arm and down into my hand. And my hand and lower arm were tingling and sort of numb. And my chest was tight. It felt like I had like a kettlebell on it, like a weight on it. And I felt like I was struggling to get enough oxygen in. I still don't know if I had a heart attack that night. My mind and body tells me it was, but at this stage, I'll never really know. And that's because I didn't call an ambulance. Yes, I know it was stupid and I regret the decision now, but there was a reason. Now, to understand why I didn't call an ambulance, I need to give you a bit of a history. This is not the first time I've experienced this. In fact, I've had heart pain since I was about 19, and it's never been taken seriously. The first time, um, at least I think it was the first time I had the pain, was after my friend's birthday party. We had gone all the way up to Birmingham and was staying in a hotel. And by the way, I'm giving you this context because it actually all interlinks with kind of my final conclusion. Um, so... We were staying in this hotel and my friends got into a really huge argument and I was caught in between and I I couldn't get home because we were like, you know, so, so far away. And at the time I was not in a great place mentally or physically and the argument sent me spiraling and I actually went and sat in the bathroom in the shower cubicle to try and drown drown out the shouting. Like I didn't turn the shower on, I just sat in there and the next morning we had to travel back on the train quite away, and I'd not slept much at all and I'd been drinking heavily the night before and just to put that in context stress lack of sleep and his and drinking heavily all raise histamines just just keep that in mind and I started getting this heart pain and breathing problems I had been uh walking to and fro between carriages splitting my time between my friends who had argued to try and avoid either one of them being angry with me and, and that's when it kicked in And so when we got to London, one of my friends took me to A&E, and of course, I was told that I had had an anxiety attack because of the arguments, and I was actually immediately prescribed with heavy anti-anxiety medication, and was told to follow up with my GP come Monday. There were no tests performed, and there were no examinations. Naturally, I assumed the doctor was right, that it was my anxiety, given the situation. The next day I went to my GP who promptly took me off the anti-anxiety medication saying it was too strong and told me he was sure I could talk to my parents about whatever was bothering me. Now if you've listened to my podcast episodes before you might have gotten the sense that my parents were and are not the type of people that I can talk to about my problems to put it mildly given that they're the root cause of many of them. So I got on with it And then sometime after, honestly, it could have been weeks or maybe a year or two, I had it again. The pain and breathing problems occurred during a really stressful event that I was running for my then business, which was a fashion magazine. And my business partner just said to me, Jess, you're such a warrior. And so I got on with it, even though I felt like I shouldn't just be getting on with it. And this was also a time when I was drinking really regularly. You know, we were a fashion magazine, so it was a lot of press parties and things like that that we had to attend. And all of us were young, and so we, we'd drink a good few times a week. And at least two of those occasions would be really heavy drinking. And I was also operating on very little sleep because we were running an insanely fast-paced business. So sometimes I'd literally go two or three days straight without sleeping. I know I would never do that. Now, it, I mean, I and I didn't enjoy it. Like the whole time I was doing this, I felt like it was wrong, but um, I I felt like I couldn't talk about that. I I couldn't say that I was struggling. That's a whole other conversation for another time. Now, I'm not sure when this started, but I will also say that during all of these times, the symptoms were accompanied by heart palpitations and dizziness. And the heart palpitations and dizziness weren't isolated to these incidences. Um, In fact, I'd get them really regularly. The dizziness was probably a few times a week, but as I aged, it became a few times a day. And it would go through phases of being worse and then being better and not having the symptoms. When I was finally diagnosed with endo about 24-ish, I spoke to my doctor about the dizziness and the heart palpitations being linked to endo and was told that endo wouldn't cause those symptoms. He didn't make any suggestions for further investigations and nor did he seem to be concerned about them. He just sort of moved on. And by this point, with a nice medical history involving many, many mental health referrals and eating Disorder Clinic, anti-anxiety medication and a family history of depression and suicide attempts, I'm assuming he assumed it was all down to anxiety. Now somewhere, and I can't remember where, at some point I did have an ECG but the ECG was done at the time when I was not having palpitations. Um, And I think it was prior to this conversation about the endo and the guy just being like, it's not connected. I, in fact, I'm sure it was. So at some time between endo diagnosis and these, these chest pain symptoms, and I haven't written this in the transcript, so I'm just kind of remembering it now, but I remember thinking, but I'm not having palpitations right now. And my heart looked fine. I think maybe there was something some sort of talk of a mum, I can't remember, the, or something, but they were like, no, it's fine. And so I think that also gave kind of, um, it was a very short ECG. I told them that it wasn't during the symptoms, but it was just sort of dismissed. And I think that also, you know, didn't, it kind of gave the doctors an excuse not to take it further. Anyway, I think that after I spoke to the, the doctor about could it be endo? I think it was probably a mix. I think I thought it was probably a mix of anxiety and endo, as I had read a lot of endo people experiencing the same symptoms online. And I was new to endo, and I didn't really understand why it was happening. But I sort of settled into the knowledge that it was probably linked. And so I didn't push further. And then over the years, living with the dizziness and the palpitations became the norm to me. And I have looked back at my medical history, and I've reported these time and time and time again. And then about four years ago, we moved to Margate, and we had chosen a flat in a converted Georgian building, and we were sort of on the middle floor, so there was kind of numerous flats. But within about three months we ended up moving into the basement flat and there had been a couple above us at the time with a young baby, sorry, in in the middle flat There'd been a couple above us with a young baby and the man was abusive to the partner. And I was home alone a lot because Chris had a sick parent. So he was down in London for some t- for sometimes like a week or two at a time. And coming from my background of working with vulnerable, vulnerable people who had often been abused and haven't had experienced abuse myself personally, it really affected me. And I ended up getting involved and it all went south very quickly. And as a temporary solution, whilst everything was being dealt with, the landlord moved us into the basement flat to keep me away from him. And obviously he was still in the building, but it was supposed to be a temporary solution. Anyway, shortly after moving in, I started getting quite sick. My interstitial cystitis went from being something that I could live with to being unbearable. And I was in pain 24 seven. And I started getting the absolute worst allergy symptoms, which I've, I've always had allergy symptoms, but this was just unbelievable and really crazy levels of, levels of nasal congestion and, and mucus. Like it, I don't mean to be explicit, but it was just like, it, it was unbelievable. Like Chris and I were just like, what the hell is happening? How can one nose hold so much mucus? And when winter came around a few months later, I was getting myself through feeling under the weather and unfocused and kind of brain foggy and fatigued with a lot of hot cacaos mixed with lion's mane and cordyceps. And I was probably having about three a day combined with 100% dark chocolate. So really strong dark chocolate. And I was alone a lot because Chris was still caring for his dad and I was really unhappy in the flat for, you know, various reasons, which just isn't really important to talk about here. And I was running my new coaching business, which was making me super anxious and I was struggling for money. So I was alone a lot. I was feeling unwell and also feeling very anxious. And chocolate and cacao was just sort of my treat as soon as I got off a client call or as a pick-me-up when I felt particularly foggy in my brain, or I felt unwell. I just sort of used it as a self-soothing method. And then one day, I got this serine pain in my heart, like, like serine pain. And I don't think I thought it was a heart attack. I, I sort of had lived with the palpitations and dizziness for so long. And of course, I'd had this type of pain before that I think I just assumed it was related. But this was bad it was worse than any of the other times before so it it did scare me and I ignored it for a few minutes and thought you know if it didn't come back then it was probably nothing I could get on with my day but the issue was that it did come back and it came back again and again and again across a couple of hours so I called 111 which if you're not in the UK is like the NHS helpline and they basically tell you what you should do whether you should go to A&E whether you should go to your doctor and you go through a series of questions and if it's an emergency then they call an ambulance and if it's not they get a nurse to call you back and just talk about what the next steps are Now, I can't remember the questions that they asked me, but I do know that for whatever reason, they didn't think it was a high-risk situation, maybe because I'd said that I'd been very stressed and anxious. So I waited maybe several hours, or perhaps it was the next day, actually, or like the early hours of the morning. Um, But eventually, someone called me back, and they told me to see the GP on Monday. Um, So I went to see the GP on Monday, and they booked me in for a 10-minute ECG, of course, when I had the ECG, I wasn't experiencing the chest pain or the palpitations at the time. So it all looked normal. And I did explain that I didn't have any of the symptoms at the time and that they had happened, you know, the week pri- the week prior, but they confirmed it was due to anxiety and they sent me on my way. And I continued to experience this, this level of chest pain throughout the entire winter. Sometimes it would be... S- sometimes it would be bad, other times it was just there in the background. But either way, it was sort of like a constant background thing that I was aware of, but that I didn't really know what to do with or what to do about. No one seemed to be concerned. And I had so much going on in my life that I just needed to keep going. You know, Chris's dad was sick, and I didn't want to add any more stress onto the plate. Now, shortly after this time, I came to realise that we had a pretty big mould and damp problem in this house. I mean, it was a basement flat after all, this is really common. And that I was sensitive to histamines. And I mean, I had noticed an odd smell when we moved in, but the people before us had had cats. And so I I sort of assumed it was one of those animal smells. Although I did think that was weird because we'd grown up with cats and my house had never smelt that way. But Anyway, I was put on a low histamine diet by Dr. Jessica Drummond for my interstitial cystitis pain. And although that didn't really help with my bladder pain, my heart pain went away. And the dizziness and palpitations continued. But on a on the whole, everything was much more manageable in that department. And my chest pain sort of became a memory, not something that I was living with daily. And so that kind of makes sense why, you know, I was drinking this hot chocolate and eating loads of cacao and firstly though you know that's high in caffeine which triggers histamine and can trigger like heart palpitations and stuff but on on the flip side very very high in histamines so um, that's what i think triggered that that massive attack so for the next few years, next two years i lived on some form of low histamine diet to a degree. So I wasn't super strict after that initial histamine protocol, but there were some few foods that I knew I couldn't eat and some I kept out for a good year or more before I started feeling well enough to bring them back in. And so I don't eat really any cultured or probiotic foods. Those are massive triggers for me. You know, I don't eat any yogurt. There are certain um, certain vegetables that I can't eat. There are certain nuts that I can't eat. Um, just different things like that, uh, lots of certain things like paprika, cumin, I can't eat, I have to be really mindful of cinnamon. Anyway, there were, um, there were foods that I loved, which I would have occasionally like dark chocolate and those hot drinks. And, um, I would notice that if I had them, my heart would start racing and pounding in my chest and I would have trouble breathing if I ate a lot. Um, what I've noticed now is I can probably get away with two or three, two squares of dark chocolate before I start noticing those symptoms and I can have like a hot chocolate at the weekend and be okay but if I was to try and have like a hot mushroom cacao um, every day at work it's gonna make me sick and I'll notice like I can have like three probably three or four squares of hot of chocolate but my heart will start racing at that point. And if I have more then that's when I'm really into trouble in trouble. So I try to keep it to like, um, two or three squares now. So, and I, I usually will like take, um, like some quercetin with it, some natural antihistamines. So I started to notice my triggers were usually caffeine or histamine mediate or like histamine rich foods. Or like histamine mediated triggers, like lack of sleep or high stress levels or um, high intensity car actually, no, not so much high intensity cardio, but definitely stress and inflammation and lack of sleep. And I was also specializing in SIBO at this time, which can cause histamine overload and also hydrogen sulfide, which was one of the SIBO types I believe that I had um, because you can't test for it in the UK, but I had all the signs and symptoms. Hydrogen sulfide is also a big driver of histamine intolerance and anxiety and generally people with hydrogen sulfide SIBO tend to be a lot sicker and so I was treating myself as SIBO too and hoping that in doing so my histamine mediated problems would reduce and around this time I also connected the mold dots as this was quite a large part of my SIBO training mold triggers histamine reactions in the body and people who have conditions like SIBO can often be more affected by mold because their body is already dealing with high levels of histamine and poor histamine clearance and just as a side note mold can also contribute to SIBO development and make it harder to treat too so what I think what I was sort of piecing together that was happening is that you know I can trace back my SIBO symptoms to um about Two years old, one year, one years old, one year old, and that's when I think I developed SIBO. But I, what I was kind of thinking is that, and I, and I still believe is that I moved into this flat with mold problems um, during a really acute stressful period of time, and it was a straw that broke the camel's back, and I just my body and my immune system just flipped out on me, and so I just started getting all of these reactions. Um, Now, I talk about how I cleared the flat as much as possible of mold in another episode uh, on allergies. So I'll link to that in the show notes. But in short, I bought some natural mold and allergen sprays to the carpets um, and all of our clothes and surfaces, etc. I I did just like loads of deep cleans. I threw tons of stuff away. I bought an air purifier and a dehumidifier. Um, I changed lots of soft furnishings, etc, etc. Uh, you obviously might be wondering why we didn't just move. And trust me, we tried. Um, At first we couldn't because there was just too much going on personally. Chris was still caring for his family. And then we just needed some time to settle and recover from that experience. Then there were multiple issues going on for us. We needed to save enough money for a rental deposit and all the costs involved with moving, which was challenging for us given that we were both running young businesses in the middle of a pandemic. And on top of that, loads of the, um, for a time, they stopped doing viewings, and they stopped um, doing, like, you couldn't move. And so that was an issue. And I also couldn't move during course deliveries, as I needed to be around every week during the courses, and they would go on for months. And then prior to the courses starting, there was all of the development of the courses beforehand and the marketing and so there was about a year when i was working pretty much every day for 10 to 14 hours a day which left no room for packing up the house or doing viewings etc and i had to do it because i had a i had business to run and had people to help um and there were, it just felt like there was no wiggle room and so i just had to kind of suck it up that we were here for the time being and then when we could start looking again we're both self-employed and we both have low incomes and finding a new flat that was affordable was really difficult and of course if there was anyone else going up for the property that we were applying for they would always get it over us because most of the time they were not self-employed and would often earn more than our salaries you know more than ours so and then there were other times, there were a few times we had been close to moving. Uh, we found a house, it was starting to go through, but then this a weird stroke of bad luck would just throw the situation, something would come up with a the flat, there was a problem with the flat, the flat needed these safety things being done, and we ended up not moving after all. It's just been a whole th- thing, and very, very strange, and honestly, sometimes I've wondered if we're ever going to leave this place, and I just promise you, it's not been for lack of trying. The past few years have all been focused on leaving this flat, but just, just life has been, I mean, we've been in a pandemic and we've had a lot going on within that. So it's just been very, very difficult. So that's a tangent, but I just kind of wanted to say, like, I've basically been trying to make the best of a bad situation in terms of the mold in the house. And I will say that even though there is water damage still because we had that, I don't know if you guys remember we had a huge flood in this flat and clearly we need to leave the flat, right that's that's the that's the goal, that is what's going to really change things. Um, we really got on top of the mold situation to the best of our ability and my allergies have been so so much better. Not that not really the histamine, but the allergies. just a reminder that this episode is sponsored by BU. These natural patches last for 12 hours so they bring you prolonged relief and can begin working on relaxing your muscles before the pain kicks in so you're prepared even if your period comes during the middle of the day. Some people even find that wearing them a night before their period can really help soothe the inflammation in the area. To shop just head to the link in my show notes. then last year, you know, my chest pain calmed down with the low histamine diet or the kind of moderate histamine diet. But then last year, things started to get bad again. And I honestly can't really remember all the things that happened. But I know the first occurrence was during my first course launch. And I had actually accidentally eaten a high histamine food. I was really, really stressed as well. And I started having trouble breathing. I started having chest pain and the works. And I tried to leave it because I knew it was histamine-mediated. But every time I ate, following that, in the days following, I would get this recurrence of symptoms. And so eventually, I tried to see my GP. But because it was during COVID, and because it was breathing-related, I was told to call an ambulance. So I called an ambulance, and the paramedics came out. And they were basically pretty pissed off with me. They came about two hours after the call was made. And by this point, it had been about three hours since I had eaten my last meal, but days since the initial reaction. And and I had also taken some antihistamines to try and get the reaction under control because I had a group coaching call, um, literally in like, by the time that the paramedics came, I had a call in about an hour. Um, and so I was feeling much better by the time they got out because I was like, I need to take a load down to dreams. So when they arrived, the fact that I was standing, I was able to talk, etc., had them automatically less concerned. And I was asked why I even called them. They literally said to me, "Why did you like?" It was it was bitchy. It was like, why did you call us? It was just, yeah. And when I explained the situation with the GP, they said that due to COVID, the GPs were basically offloading patients onto paramedics in non-emergency situations. And that next time I should insist on seeing them. And my oxygen levels were good, and my pulse was even, everything looked normal. And so they made me feel like I had wasted their time and had really burdened them. And I felt like I, um, and I felt really patronized and small. And I was of course asked if I was anxious, but at this point I was quite certain that a lot of this was histamine driven. So I told them about my observations and they noted it down as an allergic reaction and said that I should get tested for allergies. They also told me that the GP surgery that I was with was awful. And that it was probably a waste of time going to see them and to try to get in with a different surgery. The issue is that I do not fit into the catchment area for the other surgery in my town, so I decided that I would continue on the path of being mindful of histamines and really trying to clear the SIBO and get out of the house so that my histamine problems could calm down, and then I would try to get some sort of help later on down the line when we were out. So from then on, a race in heart, palpitations, shortness of breath, and dizziness were a daily occurrence for me, and I even almost fainted a few times, and the paramedics were called out again um, and again, I, I I was dismissed for anxiety. I can't, I mean, there were so many, I called paramedics for another thing during this time. Um, those spasms that I had in my abdomen after the visceral manipulation. So I, things have blurred, but there was a second time as well. And that was dismissed too. And um, I knew that histamines can cause chest pain and a race in heart and heart palpitations, etc. cetera. So I tried to get on with it and not see this as something to be super worried about, because clearly the NHS weren't worried, then around November last year, the chest pain started to creep back in. I kind of put it down to, I was gradually starting to bring certain histamines back in, like slowly, slowly. And it was mild, because I had like, I was post and I was kind of testing different diets. And it was mild, and sort of in the background, it was manageable. And, you know... I just put it down to, well, it's winter, so I generally, like, my diet changes in the winter to the point where I kind of am eating a bit more histamines because you're having more warming spices and things like that. But well, I felt okay, and it wasn't super bad, and I had my eye on trying to go private. So I was really trying to hold out for that because I knew that the NHS were just not going to get histamine intolerance. It was kind of a whole new area. They didn't understand SIBO. So I was just like, I got I to gotta wait this out. And my plan had been to take out insurance and see if I could get that covered. After, because after completing my SIBO training, I spent much of last year beginning to believe that perhaps I had the trifecta of POTS, hypermobile ehlers Syndrome, and MCAS, which stands for muscle activation syndrome, which are all associated with SIBO and endometriosis, but not really talked about or understood so much yet in the context of our community and certainly not very well understood in the NHS like it, it, they're known to be underdiagnosed and in case you're not familiar with these conditions I've linked to a couple of episodes in the show notes where I discuss them and the endo and the SIBO links um, as I've been researching and talking about these for a year now so I've done a couple of episodes already but let's just do a quick recap. So Ehlers-Danlos Syndrome is a group of 13 conditions which all affect the connective tissue which is collagen in the body. And most of them are rare, but one type called hypermobility EDS is common. And it causes hypermobility in the joints, but often that can be disguised in older patients as muscle stiff, as muscle stiffness, because the muscles tend to, um, they tense up in an attempt to stabilize the body. And like endometriosis, EDS is often underdiagnosed, and most people with it are diagnosed in their 30s and beyond. I'm gonna take you through some of the signs and symptoms of hypermobile EDS. Now it's worth noting here that you do not need to have all of these and there is also a spectrum. So for some, the symptoms are mild, for others, they can be severe. So joint pain or full body pain, hypermobility, which can be very subtle and may be not at all, depending on the stage of EDS, as the stiffness gets like tends to get worse with age. So there's there's basically a lifespan of EDS stretchy skin, soft velvety skin, I I haven't written this on the transcript, but um, a sort of scarring abnormalities, so excessive scarring, excessive adhesions, um, just lots, sort of um, excessive growth of scar tissue, bruise and easily dislocation of joints, chronic fatigue, dental crowding, muscle stiffness, IBS symptoms including bloating, constipation or diarrhoea or both, Heavy menstrual bleeding, so 33 to 75% of people with EDS have heavy menstrual bleeding. Pain with sex, 32 to 77% of people with EDS have vulvodynia or pain with sex. And painful periods, so 73 to 93% of people with EDS have painful periods. Now, postural tachycardia syndrome or POTS is part of this trio of EDS, MCAS, and POTS that I mentioned earlier. And POTS is a type of dysautonomia, which is a group of conditions that affect the autonomic nervous system, which controls involuntary functions of the body. So POTS specifically affects blood flow and blood pressure in the body, so that too little blood is getting to the heart, and the heart rate increases when going from sitting sitting and lying down to standing. But it also has far-reaching effects, including on the gut. So some of the symptoms are blood sugar dysregulation, low blood pressure and fainting, um, chronic fatigue, chest pain, breathing issues, palpitations, race and heart, gut problems and bladder problems, dizziness and balance difficulties in vertigo and struggling to regulate temperature. And so finally, let's look at cell activation syndrome or MCAS for short. So MCAS is when immune cells called MAR cells which release histamine, are overly sensitive and easily triggered, resulting in a higher amount of histamine being released on a daily basis. Symptoms, of course, look a lot like histamine intolerance and can include sneezing, wheezing, runny or congested nose, red itchy eyes, rashes, hives, itchy skin, a racing heart or irregular heartbeat, chest tightness or chest pain, diarrhea, nausea, brain fog, irritability, food allergies and airborne allergies, bloating, puffy skin and swelling, painful periods and painful ovulation because histamine is involved in the regulation of um, ovulation and periods and migraines or headaches. Now, given that most of my clients have both SIBO and endometriosis, I I had seen a lot of symptoms of these conditions and I had started to weave together the pieces of my puzzle and my clients' puzzles too. And I ended up finding a network of doctors who thankfully did understand this link. There aren't many of them. And the, the ones who get it are part of this hypermobility unit. And several of my clients were finally able to get the diagnoses that they needed and were getting treated and feeling better and getting the answers they've been looking for all of this time. And yes, I'm going to link the network in the show notes. This is um, a UK network, but I will put a couple of other resources for US. Um, I'm sorry, I don't have any other resources um, for other places because most of my clients are um, in the UK or the US, somewhere in Europe. But um, I don't know of any doctors at the moment in Europe. Um, But hopefully, maybe this will kind of give you an idea of what to look for. So... Life was really manic, so I had planned to go through all of the health insurance investigations over Christmas and the New Year. And ideally, I would then go and see this group of specialists that my clients had seen. But then, of course, Christmas Day happened. So on Christmas Day, I did my usual. I made pretty much everything from scratch. I made foods that were sugar-free, gluten-free and dairy-free. Um, and delicious, like I, I love what I make, I don't feel deprived, I was making, I made cakes, I made this incredible chocolate yule log, I can't remember what we had, I made like cinnamon buns, I made all of these lovely things, but it's pretty hard to have Christmas without histamine, right, because of all the spices, and the red wine, and the gravy, and things like that, so I probably had more histamine that day than I've maybe had in years, And I felt fine during the day, I think. I might have had a few twinges here and there, but nothing major, nothing really out of the ordinary from what I'd been having since like November, October. And then I was woken with that intense pain, which was the worst of all the chest pain that I had ever experienced. And it it was truly, truly awful. And I am terrified of experiencing it again. Um, But it woke me from a deep sleep. So I wasn't fully conscious And I remember gripping like my chest and I was obviously acutely aware of the pain in my arm and this slight numbness. And I had noticed that I was asleep with my arm above my head. So in my weird like half asleep state, I thought to myself that I must have chest pain because my heart was struggling to pump blood to my arm, which was above my head on the pillow. I just thought, oh, the blood can't get there. Of course, Awake Me realized too late that that was not a good reason to have heart pain, but the whole thing was weird because that you know, like at the same time, I knew somewhere in my subconscious how serious it was because I lay back down next to Chris and I put my fingernails on his back, and I told myself that if it happened again and I thought I was going to die, I would scratch him to wake him up because I wasn't sure that I was going to be able to talk through the pain. And I also remember thinking I wouldn't call the ambulance because they wouldn't help me. And if I had been more awake and thinking logically, I would have 100% gone to the hospital at that point in time. And I really regret not having done that now. But anyway, the next day the pain continued... It was never as bad as it was on Christmas night, but it was worse than it had ever been in the history of these symptoms. It was it it was excruciating. And we went back and forth on whether to call the ambulance, but every I mean, literally for the entirety of December into January, <laughs> it went on for a really long time. But I kept hesitating because the most severe pain had been Had been and gone. And so I kept remembering what had happened the other times when the doctors or the paramedics had seen me after the worst of it and had dismissed me. And we also had a lot of COVID cases in my area. So I didn't want to go to the hospital only to be dismissed and yet come back with COVID. And due to the rise in COVID cases over Christmas, I also doubted that they would take me seriously because they were so busy. So I kind of thought like I should have called when it happened because now they're not going to take me seriously. And so the symptoms continued and they would be so bad that I that I'd literally fall over with the pain. Like, you know, I would literally like fall onto the sofa or fall onto the bed like as I was walking past and I know, I know, I know that I should have gone to the hospital. I know how bad that sounds. And I I, I am honestly, I'm so embarrassed to, to tell you this, that as a health coach, because let me tell you, if my client reported these symptoms to me, I would tell them to get to A&E immediately. But I was just so torn. I knew if I went to A&E that I wouldn't get this covered on the insurance because it would be on my notes as a recent thing. And I was also pretty sure that uh, A&E doctors wouldn't know what was going on the um, hospital that I live near has a, not a very good reputation. I n- knew they wouldn't run tests because no one's ever run tests and that they would send me home telling me it was anxiety. And, you know, I want to be really clear about this. I know I should have gone to A and e I absolutely know that and I regret that. And I am telling every single one of you to go to the emergency services if you have symptoms like this. But the short of it is I did not feel safe. With the care providers around me the paramedics the GPs the AE staff they had all dismissed me over the years and honestly I resigned myself to thinking that if this was serious if I was going to die they weren't going to help me and I would rather die at home with Chris than be patronised and belittled in a hospital and being told that there was nothing wrong with me I even went so far as to tell Chris what to do with this endo life and my clients and my course students if I had had a heart attack and died during this time. And because we're not on great incomes, I was worried, I was worried about what he'd do financially. So I talked to him about what to do with my money and with the account so that he would be okay. Now, of course, how did I go from trying to tell myself that it was just histamine to actually wondering if I was going to die? Well, firstly, of course, the severity of the symptoms. Honestly, I, I truly felt like I might be about to have a major heart attack at any moment. I, I really felt like that. Secondly, I started scouring the research to understand how histamine might be responsible for these symptoms. I didn't go down like a um, a rabbit hole of reading like Facebook posts and like, um, uh, what do you call them? Support groups, because obviously you see, you tend to see the worst case scenarios there. I was reading like papers, like research papers, and I knew chest pain was a symptom of histamine intolerance, but I didn't know how. And unfortunately I found what I was looking for. There are histamine receptors in the coronary arteries. And some research is indicating that high histamine levels or histamine, um, Issues can cause a type of angina where the arteries of the heart restrict and spasm temporarily cutting off the blood supply to the heart. So in that sense, it's almost like an allergic response resulting in angina. And for those of you not familiar with angina, it's heart pain that is caused by a lack of blood flow to the heart and is often caused, mainly caused by the by a blockage to the heart, so like a blocked artery. Now, the type I was looking into was more rare and is caused by these spasms and can occur when, wait for it, asleep or resting. And this was something that Chris and I had really noticed. Like, it didn't matter if I was um, awake, if I was exercising, if I was sleeping or relaxing on the sofa, I would get heart pain. And what's typical with sort of regular angina is that the pain should go away when resting, whereas mine wouldn't. It wouldn't go away. I was continuously having this pain, even when I was like, had been sitting on the sofa for four hours watching Christmas movies. And in fact, the only thing that would get my chest pain down, and it wasn't even to a degree that was comfortable, it was just less terrifying, was high-dose quercetin. Um, I started using a, a dose of quercetin that is generally prescribed for MCAS clients that I had training in. And honestly, too many antihistamines. I was, I was taking too many. Like, I don't recommend you doing it, but please don't do that. But I knew that I could, I, I, I had low dose antihistamines at home, so I knew that I could kind of take you know, one or two more. And interestingly enough, this type of angina responds well to medications that relax the spasms, and that then that's usually the treatment to take medication. And so that's sort of the end result, right? This type of angina is caused by heart spasms, but the cause of the heart spasms and the angina could be some could be caused by something called Kounis syndrome. I think that's how you uh, say it. It's um, K U O N I S, or maybe it's K O U N I S. Anyway, I think it's Kounis, which is defined as the concurrence of acute coronary syndromes, which with conditions associated with mast cell activation. And it's nicknamed as allergic angina and unfortunately it is not well recognized or understood and tends to be missed and some you know this is what triggered my panic it can be really really serious the other issue that had me on edge is that missing heart attacks and angina symptoms in women is very very common in fact heart disease is the leading cause of death in women in the united states and until the past few years was a leading cause of death for women in the UK, though it is still one of the leading causes. The signs of heart attacks in women tends to vary a little from men, and because so much of our medical research and medical foundations are based on men, doctors are not as well versed in recognizing signs of heart disease in women. In fact, it took until the late 1990s for women to be properly included in research on heart disease, And the British Heart Foundation reports that in research, women had a 50% higher chance than men of receiving the wrong initial diagnosis following a heart attack. Women are more likely to be dismissed as having a mental health issue like anxiety. And in research, women with heart disease confirmed that one of the reasons they didn't seek help sooner is that they were worried about being dismissed as a hypochondriac. So I attempted to get all of this covered on insurance. And I even paid for a private, private GP appointment to get the referral. Now, he was happy to refer me because I was paying him, but he did say that he didn't think it was heart-related, and what would I do if they investigated my heart and it was okay? And he was, of course, very, very interested to ask about my anxiety. But anyway, I did get the referral, but unfortunately, it turns out that I've been reporting these symptoms to my doctor since 2009, so I couldn't get it covered because they're like pre-existing symptoms. I was quite new to the, uh, well, I'm completely new to the private, you know, uh, to medical insurance. And I had hoped that because I didn't have like a diagnosis that I could get it covered, but because I had symptoms already, I couldn't get it covered. So I have been managing my symptoms, um, with high dose quercetin and keeping what I think are my triggers low. And it's still been bad. And honestly, up until I think it was March or April, it was truly truly awful but I needed like it didn't calm down like from that moment you know from December I have continuous continually had those symptoms on a daily occurrence until I think it was April um but I needed to get a couple hundred pounds together to book an appointment with a private cardiologist who um, I had found and was specialized in POTS and MCAS um because my theory is that the MCAS is driving some sort of allergic angina, and if it's not that, then it's potentially caused by POTS, or at least in part by POTS. So I had my appointment back in April with a cardiologist, um, and then I had to wait about a month to have, to get the notes from that, so that's it's been a bit of a delay. And I can tell you, even though he kept correcting me when I said heart pain, and he would say it was chest pain, he actually has listened to me more than any doctor I think has ever listened to me in my entire life. And without me even suggesting it, he said that he believes that I could potentially have POTS, EDS, MCAS, and possibly Kuna syndrome, as I meant that I had found. And he was not surprised by my symptoms at all. And he did not even suggest they were down to anxiety. Now, the trouble is, and this is what I've gone back and forth on with myself in the past year, is that I don't just get my dizziness and heart palpitations, et cetera, on standing, like people with POTS do. It comes randomly and it doesn't get better when lying down. So in some ways I have many of the symptoms of POTS and sometimes they do come when I stand for sure, but my symptoms also don't behave like typical POTS symptoms because they come all the time as well. And the same goes for EDS. I have a lot of signs of EDS, but I score low on the hypermobility spectrum However, I will say that older patients with EDS, like my my age and upwards, tend to score low for hypermobility. So that's not too surprising, but I'm still, sometimes I read the descriptions and I'm like, that's me 100%. And then sometimes I'm like, no, it's not. So he is also on the fence. I mean, he's pretty certain that this is MCAS driven and, and I am as well, but the POTS EDS, we're not quite sure. Now, interestingly enough, he did say that typical cardiologists are not familiar with Kuhner syndrome and that there's even debate that it exists. And we do know from research that it takes something like 17 years for new data to actually be practiced and believed and learned by doctors. So, you know, maybe maybe people just aren't up to date yet. Um, But even so, what he said is the treatment tends to be strong antihistamines, so he has referred me to one of the only, the free only MCAS specialists in the UK, and he's also referred me for an echocardiogram and stress echocardiogram to make sure that my heart's not damaged, plus a POTS tilt table test as the first steps. From what I picked up on, I don't think he expects to see much on the echocardiograms and also maybe doesn't even think that it's my heart because he kept being like, chest pain, chest pain. But more so, I think he's quite, I think he's quite suspicious. He he thinks it's probably chest pain from some sort of MCAS reaction, but not necessarily because MCAS can cause so many reactions in the body. Um, I don't know that he is yet like, it's your heart because he wasn't really like pushing to get like this checked and being like, right, you know, call A&E immediately um, but either way, like we want to rule out any damage to my heart, of course, because I'm going private and I can't get it covered. I'm literally looking at about 2,500 for just these free tests alone and the follow-up appointment. So it's something like 2,100 for the test. And then it's like another 350 or something like that for the follow-up appointment. And that's without the MCAS and the EDS referrals but it has to be done because the NHS just aren't helping me. And this is a huge amount of money for me. And I mean, in fact, we're going to be leaving here soon, like this flat soon. God, fingers crossed nothing else gets in the way. And hopefully we'll be traveling the UK for free with this website called Trusted House Sitters, where we sit pets in return for somewhere to stay. Um, it's a bit like Airbnb with cats and dogs, but no fees. So we're going to, you know, we're looking for houses that we can stay in for like a month or or several months. And it's going to enable us to travel, which is our ultimate goal for us, right? We want to travel Europe. Um, but of course for now, I need to stay in the UK for these tests. Um, and I'm not going to lie, not paying rent and bills is going to dramatically uh, improve my ability to pay for these tests. Um, which seems crazy that These tests that should be, I should be able to get on the NHS just aren't being offered to me. But honestly, you know, it is what it is. So I am really nervous about these initial heart checks because I bought a home ECG device. I will link to it in the show notes if you guys want to try it. And on a general basis, my heart looks fine, but I've never been able to catch a spasm in the moment it happens. And to be honest, it's a bit of a glitchy device, it doesn't, I can't get it to work much, I haven't used it much. My previous ECG in the doctor's office looked fine, right, the one that I had last year for 10 minutes, and if I have this type of allergic angina, I have no idea if that would come up in a typical screening, or whether I need to be having the pain in the moment, or even whether I know what, they know what to look for, because Dr. Gall, who's referred me, is not doing the Echocardiogram. Um, he's sending me to some other cardiologist in in um, in London Bridge, and I don't know if they know what to look for, or, even, or if they even believe in this Kunos syndrome. And so, Dr. Gould deals with POT specifically, and is very very aware of MCAS and is in part of, is part of that network. So he knows, thank God, he knows what Kunos syndrome is, but he's not specialised in it. And I don't think he's he's not really versed in it. It, So I'm still not confident that it will be correctly identified or safely ruled out. So part of me is scared that something's going to come up and I've got damage to my heart from angina. And the other side of me is terrified that nothing will show, but I am still walking around with it. But at least I'm going in the right direction and I'm seeing someone who, for the first time, agrees with me and takes me seriously. And I do feel confident that if these tests come up clear, that he will work with me and refer me on to the to the right next steps, you know, and, and keep... He believes that all of this is real. He doesn't believe it's anxiety. He's the first doctor who doesn't believe this is anxiety. Now, I really wanted to raise this and share my story today because when I saw this doctor he said the majority of his patients are like me he said he sees something like 70 patients a week I think it was 60 or 70 he said to me who are young women with endometriosis now he that was his words young women obviously people you can many different people have endometriosis so he said young women with endometriosis interstitial cystitis SIBO and report dizziness allergic histamine reactions palpitations chest pain Brace and heart, all of the symptoms I've reported, gut symptoms, etc. And I just don't know why we're not talking about this more. I see so, so many clients with signs and symptoms of MCAS, POTS and EDS. And this connection between these conditions and endometriosis and SIBO are just not widely known. And so people go around living with these other illnesses, which can be managed, and they just feel so unwell and like they're going crazy and being told that they're just anxious. And I know from talking to some of my students and from you all, that I'm not the only one having heart or chest pain. And I don't want this to be an alarmist episode. I really don't. I really work hard to pull my clients out of the health spiral that they can get in, you know, when you end up imagining the worst case scenario. So if you do have symptoms like me, I don't want you to leave this episode thinking you have some sort of angina or heart disease, but I do want you to not do what I did and just be fobbed off for decades. I want you to push and push to get the right heart checks because we are so often dismissed and this is serious. Yes, it might not be your heart, but no one else is talking about this stuff. So it would be a disservice to you if I didn't. And of course, if you have chest pain, Please, please, please contact the emergency services. And if someone says to you it's not serious enough to get these checks, see someone else, or argue and just, or say to them, okay, so if I have a heart attack, it's it's on you. Just kick up a fuss. I don't care how big a fuss it is, I don't care if they think you're a diva, please just kick up a fuss. So that's it. My ECGs are booked in, and I'll be having those soon. And when I have enough of an update, I'll share where I am next. All of this takes time so I don't know how soon the update is will be and I really hope that this episode is helpful and not scary I'm sh- it probably is going to be scary but I hope it's bringing a sh- true story with also some balance to it and I'm just trying to say be sensible call the emergency services but also um I don't think everyone listening has heart disease okay <laughs> so I'm still here I didn't die as and as far as I know, I didn't have a heart attack, but um I'm okay, so that's all good. So, you know, hopefully that's reassuring before you get off this and you're just like, Jesus Christ, like I'm here, right? I'm standing and I'm recording this. So clearly I haven't dropped dead. But that doesn't mean this isn't serious and it doesn't need talking about. So please don't be dismissed with anxiety. Um, I know how hard and exhausting it is to get doctors listen, to listen to you. I do know but my god I wish I had just gone to a that night and so I'm urging you to do the same and I hope that I can bring you more information as this story progresses thank you for listening and I'm yeah sorry about all the tears thank you so much for listening if you want to find out more about what I do or read more on endometriosis and living well with it um, you can head to my Instagram page, which is this underscore Endo um, You can head to my website, which is www.thisendolife.com, and you can also get um, a free guide to managing endometriosis naturally on my website. Um, I've put the link in my show notes. It's a beginner's guide to getting started and all of the areas that I. Um, have worked on to help reduce my endometriosis symptoms and pain and live well with endometriosis. As always, if you like this show, please rate, review and or subscribe. Really, truly does help others to hear the podcast and hopefully will help them to live better with endometriosis. This episode was produced by The Pod Farm. Whether you're an established podcaster or just getting started, visit thepodfarm.com to see how they can help you go from an idea to a finished show that's ready to be heard by the world.